Hello friends, how are you? How are you getting on? I hope you're having a lovely, lovely, gentle day and uh, all is good with you. So my name is Colm and this is the Sober Mess podcast and you're very welcome. Today I'm joined by a guy from all the way over in the UK. He's an absolute gentleman of a guy. He's one of the most influential mental health advocates out there. And he's also a massive uh, Swindon Town football fan. <laughs> uh, they're going for Champions League this year. So we wish them well and we wish them luck. And uh, we're going to see, can we get the Sober Mess uh, podcast to sponsor them? So we could see that them on the front of the jersey next year. But I'm absolutely <laughs> delighted to welcome Mr. Josh Connolly to the podcast. Josh, how are you, man? I'm good, mate. I'm I'm really good. I'm uh, looking forward to this. Looking forward to the conversation, uh, the introduction of of, of uh, a mental health advocate and uh, a Swindon Town fan. Uh, I can tell you that the two are closely linked. So, uh... <laughs> Is that right? Does one lead to poor mental health? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> it's exactly it's exactly what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly that. Yeah, so it can all be traced back to Swindon. That's it. That's all I've got to say. Yeah, that, that's the yeah, that's where that's where the solution is. That's where you went wrong, man. It was all downhill when you picked when the first time you went to Swindon Town. That's where it went downhill from there. The mental health and the alcoholism. Yeah, exactly, exactly. What would I say to my younger self? Pick a pick a top six side and be done with it, and have a bit of fun with football. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'd be a massive detour anyway, man. Around all mental health. <laughs> exactly exactly yeah so josh it's an absolute pleasure to have you on man and thank thanks a million for coming on i have to say i'm a massive fan and i love all the quotes you put up on instagram and you know they really help me like when i see them and you, you talk a lot about humanizing mental health like what does that mm. mean well i think like one of the big problems that we have in the way in which we started talking about mental health we can see that the conversation's growing right it, it, it's something now that people are talking about um but i think we can sort of get caught up in almost like over medicalizing it and making it like this is that thing and it's like you've got anxiety or depression and that happens to those people and this is that and let's kind of write a name on that and if you've got this do this and that's just not been my experience of the way in which mental health, my emotional health plays out. And I think it's really, really important to make sure that we remember that so much of our struggles are, are what make us human. Yeah. Um, and, ha and having difficulties with the ways that I'm feeling doesn't necessarily always mean that I have a mental health problem. It just means that I'm a human being having the human experience and I think sometimes we can get away from that when we're trying to kind of um, articulate what, what what mental health is if that makes sense 
Yeah, yeah. So to, to, like to try and let, not to label it, but to say, look, it is. It's 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 nearly it's nearly normal to have ups and downs, like you know, especially based on your environment. Like if you're going through a breakup or going through a really stressful thing in work, or just you're getting, getting just getting stressed out by life, that is perfectly reasonable. And and essentially, I don't like using the word normal, but it's it, it's okay to be going through like elements of stress and anxiety at certain points in your life. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and what that is, is about when we talk about the ways that we feel and the things that are going on in our lives, often most of them make sense when you start to unpick and look at our stories. Even like with the pandemic and everything that's going on in the world at the moment, a lot of people are talking about the rise in mental health struggles. And I kind of think we have to be a little bit careful with that narrative because if you're in a pandemic, you're in a lot down you've just lost your job you don't know how you're going to pay the next bills feeling angry anxious worried concerned and a bit down to me is 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 a quite natural normal human response based on your life experiences right so i think we just like i think we have to be a little bit more uh, inclusive and accepting of our range of emotions rather than believing that the ultimate state is to kind of feel good all of the time um, you know, the idea that we should feel good all of the time uh, was one of the big drivers in my my own addiction struggles in my life. Right. Mm. It was about escaping any other emotion other than feeling good. So I think we have to be careful and remember that we are human beings that, that, that experience a range of emotions. And, and that is what makes us human. Yeah, and it, it it sinks back into the whole like marketing side of life, you know, the whole marketing psyche and the capitalism. That if you look at, at an ad on the TV and you see someone on the TV and this massive smile and they're using this product and they're saying if if, are you, if you you're meant to be happy, you're meant to look like this and be this happy, and in order to buy be this happy, you need to buy this product or whatever. So we're kind of grown up from a young age that you need to be happy. If you're not happy, you're doing something wrong, you know. And then, then you feel weak and you don't want to tell people or talk to people because you feel awkward because you're, you're not over the moon, you know, because you think there's something wrong with you. So then entails all the masks that we wear, that we're, we're happy-go-lucky and we can't actually disclose the real us because we're terrified of being rejected because we're not happy. Exactly that, right? Exactly that. And as people have started to recognise the kind of value in addressing our mental and emotional health, that marketing lifestyle that you've talked about is creeping into it, right? And it drives that idea that you've talked about that, that, that I need to be happy all of the time and that if I'm not, I must be doing something wrong. And when I feel a difficult emotion, then I need to try and do something to make myself feel better. And we lose sight of the fact that our value is innate, right? You're like, my value exists because I exist. And actually, the real work for me has been about peeling back the layers and the kind of distorted views of myself that I've had so I can sort of reconnect and rediscover that value in myself. But we sell this idea through that marketing stuff that you've talked about that in and of myself, I'm not enough and that I need to go out and get something else in order to, to kind of be what I'm supposed to be. And, you know, that again brings it back to what I'm talking about when I say humanizing mental health, which is, you know, making the human experience way more normal. And, you know, the difficult emotions is not equal to something wrong with me, right? Difficult emotions are a reaction to what I'm experiencing 
in the environment that I'm currently living in, right? Mm. Yeah, it, it, it's it's mad, isn't it? And it's like, and it, it is that thing, you know. We we grow up to think like if you're sad, it, it's wrong to it's wrong to cry. You know what I mean? It's wrong to show any. Like if you've seen a guy walking down the road and he was laughing his head off on his own, or if he was crying, you'd be like, Jesus, that man's very strange. He's very odd. He's he's displaying emotion. What is wrong with that guy? Like you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like similarly to that, when you know when you leave a funeral, when you go to a funeral we'll congratulate each other on the way out for having dry eyes. Like, you've done well in there, well done. When actually, at a funeral, crying's a very normal emotion, right? It's, it's exactly what you should be experiencing. Uh, you know, likely it's what you should be experiencing. And yet we celebrate this, like, keeping in of our emotions. It, it, even when you look at the language, right, we, you know, most people kind of recognize that after you have a long cry, you normally feel better. And yet after a cry, we talk about falling apart when actually the, the, the act of crying is the very thing that brings us back together. So the language and the way in which we view emotions and even even calling them positive and negative, I think is problematic, right? We, we have difficult emotions, but they all serve a purpose uh, when we find the time to be able to lean into them. Yeah, true. It was like, how do you feel? I feel good. I feel bad. And straight away you're labelling it. There's something wrong with you because you're feeling bad. Yeah, exactly. And if I'm struggling, and this is another thing, right? If I'm struggling with the ways that I'm feeling, like I'm, I'm not looking for somebody to come and make me feel better. I'm looking for somebody to support me in feeling like being better at feeling, right? Because yeah. if I'm struggling with an emotion... I don't want you to snap me out of it. I want you to come and meet me in that emotion and sort of metaphorically hold me and let me know that that's okay, right? And that's how I'll move through that emotion and come through the other side as, you know, having grown as a person, but we get so caught up in emotional avoidance. And and if we're not careful, the mental health conversation, if you want to call it that, actually breeds emotional avoidance because we say good mental health is feeling good. So if you're not feeling good, then you need to do something to make sure that you feel good. And then what we do is we go out and find ways to avoid our emotions. And, you know, we, in most cultures, we only stigmatize certain addictions, right? If you're addicted Mm -hmm. to alcohol, it's stigmatized drugs, it's stigmatized gambling, normally stigmatized. But if you go and get yourself a work addiction, yeah, you're, you're considered a success, get addicted to the gym, yeah? And anyone, everyone will tell you how amazing you look all the time. And then you can take it a step further. Get yourself addicted to helping people, yeah? And no one's ever calling you out on that addiction. But all of those things, if I'm doing them to escape the ways that I'm feeling because I can't deal with how I feel, it's still the same thing. It's still emotional avoidance. Yeah, that's that's really powerful, you know, that um, it's still the same principles of addiction that I'm using A, B or C to feel different, to run away, to just want to escape how I'm feeling. Mm, exactly exactly yeah. there's there's a term i don't know if you, have, you, have you ever come across the term spiritual bypass mm, yeah yeah so they say like spiritual bypassing is kind of using uh like spirituality even as a way of avoiding how i feel so you can do whatever you want you know you can go and do all this amazing work but if you're doing it as a way of escaping how you're truly feeling 
yeah, then then you're only ever escaping. Go and, you know, I always say, can you sit with yourself? Remove everything. Remove. Can I take my work that I do away? Can I remove all the plaudits and the things that I've achieved and all of that stuff? When I take all of that away and I shut the door and I'm on my own, in my mind, how do I feel about myself then? Yeah. You know, can I, do I want to escape? Am I struggling with the ways that I feel? Because that's like the real work. Um, that's kind of like how we really truly understand ourselves. It's not, you know, it's not a bed of roses and sort of all pretty and nice, you know. It, it's difficult work, I think, the healing work is. It's yeah. difficult. Well, I think as well, though, part of being a human is, is that we have that reward pathway in our brain that every time I do A, B or C, I, I feel good, you know, like a lot of time that people don't know how to feel good, but they know oh, every time we go to the gym, or I, get, or if I work extra hours and get validation off my boss, or if I buy this thing on Amazon, I, that, that makes me feel good, you know, so people, I, I, for like if I want to, you know, so essentially every time I press this button, I feel okay, and then that button could be the act of, could be the act of online shopping, it could be porn, it could be overtraining, overworking, drinking, drugging. But my brain has developed this thought process that every time or this like this 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 process in my brain, every time I press this button, I'm gonna feel okay. And I'll go chasing yeah. that dopamine buzz that I get out of it. Yeah, no, exactly. And then and then that's how that that obsessive compulsion begins, right? And that's you know the very what you've described is the very essence of addiction right and i think when you when you start to look at addiction in that way you start to realize that we're all on a on a continuum really we're all on a sliding scale when it comes to addiction i you know i've not touched uh alcohol and drugs for for eight and a half years but that doesn't mean that i've been addiction free i've had a million and one addictions in those eight and a half years you know yeah. uh, I, they just happen to be to different things whether it's counting calories or the gym or like I say, helping people, all these different kind of things that I pick up that I am using to avoid the ways that I'm feeling. And I'm what you know, what I have to recognize is that I need to be able to out myself and break those circuits when they come in because they, you know, they they come and they go. That's yeah. that's my experience. You know, so, when I'm when I'm when I'm struggling with an emotion, I want to run away. Yeah, no, that's true. So would you say like? There's no such thing as a good addiction, like. Um. Yeah, I, I, if we look at addiction as anything that I become obsessive about, that gives me temporary relief, but that I, uh, but that has an adverse effect on me in the long run, but that I continue to do anyway, then you start to realise that there's no such thing as a good addiction. Um, there can be good things that come out. Well, look, I got addicted to the gym and counting calories. The good thing to come out of that was that I looked like an absolute donner, right? But I never, I never saw that when I looked in the mirror, because, because like any addiction, one is, one is too many, and you know, a thousand is not enough. So, yeah, so you're never it, satisfied. You're constantly so seeking was, more, more. Exactly. Yeah. There's a a guy called Dr. Gabor Mate. I don't know if you know <laughs> if you're familiar with his work, but. He's got a book called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, right? And it is that hungry ghost. Anything, you know, I do it for temporary relief, but I'm, it's never enough. And so when you look at it from that broad perspective, then it's not good for me. Um, again, helping people is another one, right? If I get addicted to that, it's great because lots of people get help. 
but my life still falls down around me. I still don't feel grounded and connected in what matters to me because I'm chasing something that relief that 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 never comes that never like it never meets the need in which I'm chasing. Mm-hmm. And so it's always detriment it's always detrimental to my life and in some ways when you get addictions like that it's even worse because at least when I was a drunk or I had problems with drugs it was pretty obvious my life would just be a mess right and everybody could see it. When I'm addicted to helping people yeah when people call me out on it it's very easy then to start using the denial and be like how dare you tell me that i need to look at this stuff look at what i'm doing in the world look at all this help i'm offering right so you know when you start to look at it in that sense you know you start to realize that addiction's everywhere it's it's everywhere we're we're, we're all addicted in some way to something that, that, yeah, it's insane when you actually put it like that, you know, that there, like it doesn't matter if it's drink, drugs or figaro's, like, you know, we can get addicted to anything at all. Like, and so like, so everyone, essentially everyone is addicted to something somewhere. Like, is there anyone out there that has absolutely no addictions? Like, I know when they talk like it is people that, I suppose, where does the ego, does, there's always going to be a case of addiction. Yeah, that you, you, yeah, we always try to, like as human beings what we tend to do is try and meet our needs right in the, in the quickest way possible so it's not that i think everyone's got full blown addictions but i do think that we're all on a sliding scale right I, you know i look at my wife for example I, you know it'd be very difficult to put a uh, an addiction on her but i know how uncomfortable she is when this house isn't clean right so it's difficult to label that, you know, you'd see it and say, well, that's not an addiction. She just likes the house tidy, but she gets irritable and restless when it's not, right? So so she becomes, it becomes a need that she needs to meet, right? In order to feel okay in and of herself in any environment, she doesn't feel okay unless that's happened, right? So when you look at the sliding scale, lab, and look, you can take that a step further. And, and, and when you look at like the way that people eat, and all the dieting stuff that's out there and the way that we talk about obesity and we think let's print the calories on on the food and then let's tell people the ways that they should eat. When I overeat, I don't overeat because I forgot what a calorie is. I don't like I don't eat too much chocolate and think, oh, I didn't realize when I'd done four big, massive bars of chocolate, there, there was loads of calories in it. I do it because in that moment it works. So I just do it. Right. Mm. And then even when you look at that space, what you tend to have is you have people working as personal trainers whose addictions have become their work and being a personal trainer. And they're trying to teach somebody who's addicted to food to become addicted to training. Right. And it just, and this is why you see all these fad diets that, that, that come around because a fad diet works when you can replace your addiction to food with the fad diet. And then you drastically yeah. lose loads of weight. Well, of course you do, because you've got your new addiction, right? Yeah, no, it, it is so true. And like, so, so like essentially like addiction is, is, is looking for some sort of distraction because you're at an unease somewhere in your life, you know, be it yourself or the, or the circumstances around you or your, or your lack of connection. And I remember hearing a guy say once, you know, that the, the opposite of addiction isn't abstinence. You know, the, the opposite of addiction is connection. 
you know, as we're wired for connection as human beings, right? And it's uh, the guy you're talking about, Johan Harry, when he talks about it, it's him that says the opposite of addiction is connection. I, I can't remember the original work that he takes that from. But actually, we, 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 I believe that we're born and wired for connection. And then somewhere in our life, we come away from the idea that we're lovable just exactly as we are, right? And we start to believe that we need to portray ourselves in certain ways and in different ways and we become uncomfortable in our own presence right mm -hmm. and i think a lot for me a lot of that stuff happens when we're children um and the connection that we have with our parents if our parents are finding it difficult to experience certain emotions then they will subconsciously suppress those emotions in us and then so we we, we begin to disconnect with ourselves because it's the only way that we can survive if mm -hmm. If I'm highly sensitive as a child, and that was my experience, but my mum and dad don't have that sensitivity to match my sensitivity, the only way that I, as a child, can deal with that is to disconnect from those emotions. So I begin to disconnect from myself. So I start to feel a, a, an emptiness, a, a hollowness. And because as I get older and move into my adult life, I don't know where that disconnect happened. I don't understand yeah. its origin. I start to try and fill the hole it leaves with other stuff. Alcohol works straight away. I didn't become addicted to, to, to alcohol because it didn't work. I became addicted to alcohol because the first time I drank it changed my life. Mm. You know, changed my life. And yeah. I, I'm just, I, I'm not somebody who says that there were no good times drinking. You know, often people, when they quit alcohol, they'll say, you know, but was it fun, you know, or did I just think it was fun? I'm telling you now, when I was 16, I loved everything about alcohol and it was damn fun because it, it, it was working. It did everything for me that I wanted it to do. The reason I stopped drinking is because it stopped working. Yeah. I got drunk and stayed miserable. That didn't happen when I was 16. I got drunk and felt damn good, right? But in the end, it stopped working. So I stopped drinking when it stopped working. Yeah. And for me, what's happened in the eight and a half years that have followed that is the hole has got smaller, the more of the internal work and the reconnecting I've done with myself, but it's not gone. And when I'm not willing to do the work, I try and fill it and I'll fill it with anything that works. Yeah. yeah? And, and most things work for a while until they don't. <laughs> and that's addiction. Yeah, in a whole sense, I was like, Trying to maintain it like that good mental health or freedom from addiction isn't it isn't a destination, you know, so it's more of a process, like a journey, and just trying to maintain it on, on a daily basis by doing the suggested things. And you know, it's like anything in life that we don't maintain and, and see to regularly, like our, our health, our fitness, you know, the cleansiness of our house, you know, it's like the maintenance of our back garden, you know, whatever it may be. That if we don't like maintain it on a regular basis, that it will get out of hand. Exactly that. Exactly that. You know, and and within the sort of twelve step fellowships, they they they, they talk about having the daily reprieve, right? The 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 daily practice of having to start again every day. I need to understand that no matter how far down the path I go, if it's the wrong one, I can start again. You know, hundred mm. percent. And yeah, you, you like. 
you talk, mentioned about the, the drinking there, the buzz that you got out of it. And I remember the first time I drank and like that, getting that feeling of eureka, you know, this is what I was missing the whole time. This The social lubricant that I got and the story that I got with the lads, I could chat to the girls, you know, I could have to laugh with the guys. You know, we felt like all this confidence. I felt like it was very fun. But near the end, you know, it got insane. It got crazy and I done crazy things when I was drinking. But it, the lure of just feeling okay was just so rewarding. And that's why the consequences didn't stop me from going back every time because I just loved that feeling that it gave me. Yeah, exactly. And then, and, and you try to chase that same feeling again, right? All your life, you, you spend your life, your drinking life was about trying to make it like it was when you were 14 and it was really working and it was really landing. Um, and that becomes your obsession. But, you know, like, like you say, when I got to my late teens and my early 20s, alcohol had nothing but a detrimental effect on me when I drank it, you know? Yeah. Um, and it never, it never worked in the way that, that it once did. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and like and like you, you know, when when I stopped drinking first, it was like it was like whack a mole. You know, when I, I knocked one thing on the head, all these other things popped up. You know what I mean? Like the the fucking, you know, whatever I can get a buzz out of. You know what I mean? If I if something makes me feel good, I'll have two. You know what I mean? It's it's that that's that's how we felt. You know, I just I wanted more and more and more. And I suppose for me, addiction. In my own opinion, addiction is like, another word for addiction is escapism. You know, that I just want to escape out of my head. I want to escape of how I'm feeling. I want to escape out of circumstances around me. I'll deal with it tomorrow. Just I just want to feel okay now, and I'll worry about that shit tomorrow. And that, that justifies whatever it was, overeating, overworking, playing the PlayStation for way too long, overspending, you know, whatever would just give me a buzz and a bit more. That's all I want. I just want to feel okay and and you talked about it there you know being able to sit with yourself and that's just something that generally human beings at the moment we're not really taught like there's no manual that goes around to say right when you feel emotions this is how you process them you know if you feel anxiety you don't go for the 20k run and then just try to run away from it or try work harder or spend more money you know it's, how do you sit with yourself like how how do you stop addiction how do you stop the need to want to escape that you can sit with yourself well the answer to that is like i guess is the, the, the million dollar question it's different it's different for everybody and i think like escapism there's a blurred line with escapism too in that like we have to allow ourselves some kind of break from the ways that we feel sometimes so if i go for a run to escape the way that i feel it's different if i go for the run and i say i'm going for a run because i need a break and then i'm going to come back and sort of deal with the ways that i'm feeling when i get back that's different to oh i just run three times a day because i just love running right when, if I'm saying that, I'm normally in denial and I, and I don't want to process or look at my feelings. So yeah. there's, an aware, there's an awareness to it, right, that comes with it. And, you know, people often ask me, do I miss alcohol? And I always say, like, I don't miss alcohol, no. But I miss having the ability to just be able to switch off completely by just drinking some fluid, right? Like there's times when my emotions get so heavy, I think, God, if I could just, just tonight, I'd love to just switch off tonight, right? And then, like you say, deal with everything tomorrow. I never, 
you know, in the end, I was drinking to get right. Yeah. And I think whenever I use something external to try and fix myself, um, then I'm already moving towards addictive behavior. So I like some, some, some good things that we can do is make sure that we've got people in our lives that are good at creating psychologically safe spaces for me so that I can share and I can explore my emotions in a way that I'm not going to be judged. Nobody's going to try and fix me. They're just going to kind of metaphorically hold my hand while I do some work on myself. Um, And then I have a morning and evening routine that's just really beneficial for me in the same way that I brush my teeth. Yeah. Every day to make sure that I look after them. I create a space in the morning and the evening that's focused on looking after and cleansing my mind. Um, and, and that's non-negotiable in my life. So I do that every day. Um, and you know, just like my teeth stay in good order because I brush my teeth every day. Um, my, my mind hopefully does something similar. And again, just like if I don't brush my teeth today, it doesn't mean I don't go, Oh, wow, that's it. Ruined it. No point in what brushing them again. I just, the next day brush them. Yeah. Some, yeah. Uh, I'll brush them hard. I mean, you rarely forget to brush your teeth and I rarely forget to do my, my, my routine. So yeah. making sure that we're building those kind of processes and systems into our life, um, I think is, 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 is huge. But, but, those, but those spaces in our lives look different for everybody. You know, what, what's going to work for me in the morning might not work for you. So it's important to find what does work for, for you as an individual, right? Yeah. Yeah, and like, and like what you said there, you know, like the thing with addiction and escape, you know, we're just looking for like quick fix gratification. You know, we just want to conveniently look, feel okay as quick as possible. And to drink and, and, and to eat our way to comfort is such an easy way of doing things. Like, what, like how, how, like, I, I don't want to go through the pain of going to counseling and talking for an hour. I'll just take a drink. I'll just eat over, eat these five cakes and then I'll, I'll feel okay. And it's just quick and easy and convenient way of dealing with my emotions that I, 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 I escape temporarily and long term I'll feel shit I wake up tomorrow going why did I eat all that food or why did I fucking you know why did I drink all that or you know whatever it is that will kind of mm. just look for a quick and easy way to deal with our emotions and what you're saying there is that if we put in like the like I was always told anything that's instant isn't worthwhile like you know and in recovery I was told the only thing instant in in a 12-step program is the coffee you know, and anything yeah. that takes a bit of time is always worthwhile. Like, would you rather a quick microwave dinner or would you rather like a freshly made dinner that might take a bit longer? And it's like what you're talking about there, the finding the finding the the, the, the things that make you feel okay, that aren't going to have dire consequences, you know, and, to, and that sometimes healing takes time, you know. Mm, yeah, it does. It, it takes time and it's messy and, it, and it's hard and it's, you know, it's a, emotions are tangled up and it's you know it's a lot of quality sex as well it's a lot of what's yeah exactly yeah exactly that it's a lot of that and and you know that's that's the work and and i think you know we have to have on top of all of that we have to have a certain amount of self-compassion as well right because mm-hmm. the, because of those cul-de-sacs and all that kind of stuff we have to know that sometimes we reach for things that we shouldn't re- reach for because in that moment we hadn't yet found a better way to soothe our pain right yeah and 
so we have to so we have to sometimes forgive ourselves when we do that and i think that's that's really important too because you know healing is a is a lifetime's work and i'm sort of eight and a half years into my journey of not not drinking but on any given day i can wake up and feel no different to the to the day when i woke up on my first day and that's just been my that's just been my experience right of course on those days now I've got a bit of a better roadmap of how to get back to where I need to be. But in the moment, sometimes it doesn't feel like that. Yeah. Sometimes I I get in those moments and I'm like, I've done it this time. This is the one that I don't get back out of, you know, and and it's not easy. It's not easy. And, you know, we've got to be careful to not over glamorize um, the kind of the healing work because the healing work's not always glamorous. You know, I'm sure you know that. Yeah, no, 100%, man, and yeah, I can identify with that as well, you know, I'm nearly eight years sober as well, and, uh, you know, that I, I still get them ups and downs, but I think the I think wisdom is always gained from ex- painful experiences, you know, and that every time, I'd say I've gone through a breakup now, I'm like, oh, well, I've been through a breakup before, I know there's an end to this pain, so I'm going to be okay, whereas, like, and I, I try and apply that to all the things, where in recovery, in early days when I was going through like anxiety and pain and panic attacks, I didn't know what what's wrong with me. Like, why do I feel like this? One second I feel like top of the world and the next second I want to jump out in front of a bus. So like, I'm like, what is wrong with me? I'm Googling my symptoms and Google's telling me with all these like bipolar and schizoph, you know, and your, your doctor Google like, and then over time yeah. in recovery of just feeling, getting you feeling that pain, you're like, oh no, I'm just, I'm just having an off day. That, 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 that's okay. Like you know, these, this will come, this will pass. I don't have to, I don't have to act on it or, or behave on it. You know, I just, I just, I just try and sit with it. You know, and don't get me wrong, it's not nice. And you know, a, a famous phrase in in recovery is this too shall pass. And when you're going mm. through that, like when you're going through a lot of pain. And so, like, it's like if you jumped out a window and you break break one of your legs and you're lying in agony and you call the ambulance and the doctor runs over to you and goes, oh, don't worry, Josh, this too shall pass. And he runs away and you're still lying there in pain going, I don't want to hear that. I just want this pain to stop, mm. you know? But it's like when it, that's the truest, like, best bit of advice I've ever gotten is that sometimes it's just let, let just not to be able to sit with it and let it pass. And if I'm doing that along with a healthy program or healthy kind of guidance, um, that it will pass. Yeah, yeah, and and that's and that is that that's the work really. It's all based yeah. around that understanding when the tidal wave and an emotion is coming that you might get wet but ultimately it will it will pass over you right and i think we struggle with that we struggle with that we struggle with sitting in those emotions our instincts to escape to run away to not feel it to do whatever it is that i can to get out of that feeling and emotion and you know that ultimately like you've said that the, the work is to lean in and to feel it and to be with it and to understand it and my experience has been that, you know, the greatest things, um, probably without exception, the greatest things that have come to me in, in in my journey have been born out of those darkest moments, right? And I yeah. think, like you've said, over time, what you do start to recognize is that when you're in those dark moments, you find little pockets of light because you know shit i'm gonna be i'm gonna be stronger at the the, the back end of this you know i'm gonna yeah. be a, i'm gonna have grown and and because that's what my experience has told me so it doesn't always play out like that there's a great quote i can't remember who it's by but it says that um 
our emotions don't believe in one another. You know, so like when when you're feeling down, it, you just don't believe that happiness exists. But similarly, when you're feeling happy, it's like I'm never, you know, I'm never gonna mess up again. I've done it. I've cracked it. And then a couple of days later, that passes, and you're back in that other emotion, thinking, "How did I get here again?" You know. Yeah, so true. But I suppose that's how I, I think all the wisdom I've gained over the years is, is just by touching that stove, you know, that hot, hot stove that burns the hand off me. And I have to touch it another 20 times just to be sure, to be sure, to be sure. And I, I tend to do that yeah. in a lot of aspects of my life. You know, I don't ignore red flags, you know, I just paint them green, you know, because it's like, because <laughs> I had this pursuit in my head going on. Well, no, when I get over there, I'll be happy. Like it doesn't matter if it's a relationship, the job, the promotion, the marathon. Like it doesn't matter what gets in my way because I have this idea that oh, as soon as I achieve this thing, I'll be happy. So I'm in this constant flow or this constant pursuit of the shiny thing in the distance. And then when I get there, it's like maybe it wasn't the green Ferrari or maybe it was the blue Ferrari that I needed. And I'll go, everything goes towards buying this blue Ferrari. So like, it's more about, I'm in this constant journey, you know, and I, like, I just, <laughs> I was actually went for a big hike with my sister a few weeks ago. And we're like, there's two peaks you can go up. You can go on to like, mm. there's these two different peaks. And we went up on peak A, peak B, and we went up peak B. And the two of us were looking over at peak A saying, well, maybe if you went up there, it probably would have been a bit nicer, the nicer view. And it's like <laughs> that case, like it's always, always grass is always greener on the other side. And again, you said it, you know, being able to sit with yourself and be in the presence, you know, and uh, even even mini retreats, you know, I try like in the mornings, you know, I get up and I do a lot of do a lot of sea swimming, and I like I I I, I do a lot of, like do a bit of meditation in the morning. I listen to the birds singing, and I listen to the orchestra coming in my back garden with all the all the birds. And you know, I get a great buzz out of that, that bit of retreat. You know, that bit of clarity that I get. If I have a million things flowing through my head, say, and I jump into the cold Irish sea, you know, I get this feeling that well, all that stuff that I'm worried about isn't really that important. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm gonna be okay. You know what I mean? Like that stuff. Is, why am I letting this stuff like take up free rent in my head? You know what I mean? I'm going to be okay regardless of what happens. And there's an old Chinese proverb that says the the fear of suffering is a lot a lot worse than the actual suffering itself. Yeah. So it's it's so real. It's so true. And it you know that is and that's why you know like the sea swimming that you talked about finding ways in our lives where we can bring ourselves present in the moment because the great paradox is that we chase, you know, what we think we want and we get so caught up in the chase, we miss that what we want only ever happens in the now, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I do it with everything from growing my hair to growing a beard. I'll grow a big, long beard. It'll get really long and I'll be like, fuck, it's not, it's not better here. <laughs> it's because I... I need to go clean shaven. Yeah. Then I shave it off and I'm like, the next day I'm like, this hasn't worked. <laughs> I've got to grow it back. I was happier then. And it's yeah. almost, like my appearance is changing all of the time because like, in my mind somehow, I think when I go and get, you know, when I grow my hair long again, then that's when I, you know, I'll be complete then. I'll be complete. That's when I'll be happy. And of course yeah. it never happens because the true experience is in the now.
Yeah, that's so true. And I suppose an element of that, though, as well, is part of being a human, you know, being a primal instinct of, of motivating us and giving us drive, that we want to strive to kind of get to places, to accomplish things. And I suppose but it's not to become dependent on or, or have this idea that at the moment you're not worthy, you're not lovable, and you're not good enough unless you get A, B, or C in your life, then you'll be worthy, you know? And yeah. then when we dependent on these things that oh, i'm not good enough because i haven't got this thing yet but when i get that thing then i'll be good enough and then we start this coping mechanism where we're constantly in pursuit of happiness essentially yeah it's exactly that yeah and it's uh and it comes a lot back to like you say it is a primal instinct right to, to, to kind of evolve and grow as a person but we're fed so many messages about what that looks like uh and none of them are true they're all just based around trying to meet that need of wanting to feel that in and of myself i'm lovable just the way that i am and i can be here now present with that in my experience and i think if you could live a life where you find that every day i think you're probably doing well because it's yeah. it, you know i it's something i have to work really hard at all the time uh yeah and i get you know the addiction and this is the i guess some of the paradoxes in it is the, the addiction becomes chasing being present and trying to searching externally to find what it is to make me become present when making you know to become present is about removing all of those things that i'm chasing you know yeah it's so, it's so true and yeah and you talked about there you know just growing up in a, in a home where you just weren't taught about these emotions you know and like that you know growing up i grew up in a big irish family you know there was, we had eight siblings and uh, I heard a guy say, you know, he grew up in a perfectly normal, dysfunctional family, you know, and, uh, and, and <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, it was just that thing of just feeling, uh, just feeling a bit off and never knowing why. And you'd never go up to your man and say, why do I feel like? Because they wouldn't know what to say. They they yeah. just look at you and go, well, did you try put a bit of vapor rub on your head or something? Like, I don't know, like, you know. And it's just as they weren't taught either. And, you know, I suppose that my parents, they'd done the best they could with what they knew, you know what I mean? And their parents mm. done the same and the same. That's just, it's it's just, we're just not, we weren't taught as kids how to process emotions, how to talk about our feelings. And it's something that I think there's a bit of a revolution starting now, especially with the lockdown. You know, a lot of people are to opening up about mental health. You're seeing a lot of stuff on social media that people are getting a lot better at saying look i'm not okay i'm feeling anxious i'm not feeling i'm not feeling okay like you know what i mean whereas it's, it's yeah. also a positive thing to see that even in schools you know they're talking about starting like meditation and schools where they smell the flowers put into their nose and blow out the candles when they're feeling stressed so they have a moment of meditation and they're teaching kids tools around conflict resolution and labeling their emotions and you know we all, all things like this which is is, is great to see yeah, it's important. And, and that's the best place. You know, that's where real prevention work happens is, is, is in children. Right. And I think so the, the fact that they're doing it in schools, but also, you know, I think uh, the lockdown and the pandemic pushed us to uh, it took away our escapism. And a lot of people found themselves dealing with emotions that they had spent their life running away from and their escapism had kind of been removed. So people have embraced it more because they've almost been forced to by the things that have happened. Yeah, I suppose I suppose it's, it's triggered some some sort of revolution there with like how, how we can talk about how we feel and 
you know, just be able to open up. And I, I don't know, is it is it a male thing versus a female thing? Because, you know, I, I was talking to you, I was talking to my sister about this a while ago, and, you know, she's gone through a breakup now, you know, she'd, she'd, she'd like watch a sad film, you know, and bring up the pain and the emotions and, and recognise it and feel it, you know, compared to a lad that, like, I remember going through a breakup in the past and just denying it and ignoring how I was feeling and, you know, I'd go home and watch Jaws or... You know, one of the lads would say, oh, how are you feeling? And in Ireland, we have this great Irish phrase, which labels how we're feeling, no matter how we're feeling, which is, ah, grand, I'm grand. It's like, oh, Colm, you've, uh, you've only got two weeks to live. Ah, grand. Oh, Colm, here, you've uh, just won 10 billion euro. Ah, grand. You know, it's our response mm. for everything. And I remember, like, every time the going through, going through whatever breakups a few years ago or whatever was going on that people would say, oh, how, how are you going on? Like, it'd be like, oh, yeah grand you know i didn't even know how to feel or talk about my emotions but if it came to like watching a football match or you know watching fucking ireland beat england in the rugby you know i'd get so emotional and i'd be letting tears out you know but i couldn't let emotion out around like any pain or anxiety or depression or i couldn't let anyone in or talk about it yeah yeah no and uh, and there's a lot to be said for that i think particularly in western society we sort of rate boys are raised to be told that to be brave and strong. And that, and that means not showing emotion. And then the only place where men tend to feel like they're allowed to show their and release their emotions at football. I always say, you know, when you see a man crying at his team being relegated, he's not crying because his team's been relegated. He's crying, letting out all the tears that he's felt like he's not able to been able to release anywhere else. Right. When I go to football as a young lad and I'm sh- shouting all this abuse at the referee, I'm releasing all of those emotions that I otherwise haven't found the way to be able to do it. So I think there's a lot in that. Mm. Um, and, and there's a lot of work to be done in changing those perceptions around what it is to be a man, what a boy is supposed to do, and, 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 and allowing them you know, time and space to feel their emotions in the way that they're supposed to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. And I suppose different people have different ways of uh, just talking about their emotions. And I remember having this chat with me down a few years ago. I remember starting recovery first and I was trying to I was trying to fix him, essentially, you know. And I was like, you need to open up and start talking about your, talking about how you feel. And he just turned around and says, oh, I just I just don't do emotions, you know. just And I, like, I just like, wow, you know, like, I suppose someone that's kind of just been doing his thing for like over 60 years and he just found his own way of kind of releasing his his emotions i don't think the man's ever cried in his life like you know but you know that was just his way of getting by like you know what i mean that he just didn't open up and talk about it because he's just from a different era where you didn't open up about anxiety like you did never back down you never walk into a pub and say oh will you give us a point i'm feeling insecure you know yeah um but it's it's just crazy how times have times are changing now. Yeah, we live in a different world as well, right? We live in a world where there's you know the internet's changed everything. I think it's made people, it's heightened sensitivity in people naturally because everything's there. It's at our fingertips all of the time, and so I think the, you know the human has changed over the years. That's a natural thing to happen anyway, but. Um, I, I think certainly there's a lot to be said for making sure that the space is available to be who you're supposed to be. And actually, mm. it's not that everyone needs to be more emotional. Everybody just needs to be allowed to be them more of themselves. And if that's 
somebody who's not like overly externally emotional, then that's fine too. But it's just making sure that there's no pressure to measure up. You know, when we start talking about what a man should be, we're essentially saying that if you're not these versions of these things, then you're not a man. And then people start to measure up and they, you know, come away from their authenticity towards a version of what they think they're supposed to be. And when you do that, it keeps you alone because you're not able to share who you truly are with other people. Yeah, that, that's powerful, man. Yeah, that's that's so true. Mm. That is so true. And what, like, what, what would have been some of the best advice you've ever gotten in your life? Uh, the best advice I've ever gotten in my life would be that um, that 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 I'm I'm uh, justified in the ways that I feel. So yeah. validation of my struggle. So it's less of a device and more of a statement. You know, when people actually started to say to me, you know, you're allowed to feel angry based on some of the things that happened to you. Okay, this happened to you. Yeah, and that made you feel sad. Yeah, that makes sense. When people did that and didn't try to fix me, but they let me actually experience and feel what I was feeling free from judgment, I found myself begin to move through those things. So that's like being the best advice uh, has been... That, that, that I'm justified in, in how I feel. Yeah, and I love that. And it's okay to feel like that. We don't have to change or, or fix anyone. And, you know, I, I was always taught about the three C's, you know, if you're living with someone that's going through their own struggles, that, you know, the three C's is you didn't cause it, you can't control it, and you can't cure it. You yeah, know, exactly. and it's about kind of just being able to focus on our own attitudes and our own perceptions and how, what we can do for ourselves in terms of changing our inner dialogue or changing our own lifestyle. Yeah. And changing the narratives that exist in our mind around the ways that we feel. So I sort of say, I don't believe that you get to choose how you feel, but you do get some choice over the narrative that you create over the top of how you feel. Yeah. Yeah. I like that one. And, and just all the all the, from all the quotes and from all the quotes that you put on your Instagram, like which one would you kind of which one would be your your favorite one? Like if you had to get one of them quotes tattooed on your forehead, which one would it be? <laughs> um, which quote? I mean, to, to be honest with you, I sort of struggle to remember. Uh, <laughs> people often quote me. To, people often quote me to myself, and I say. They'll say, uh, they'll read it out, and I'll go, wow, did I say that? That's that's really good. Uh, <laughs> what, would be, what would be the best quote? Um, I'll tell you one that I really like that's just popped up in my mind, and perhaps because it was one of the more simplest ones, um, but but it was never your job to be lovable. Okay. Because I think, I think everything can be traced back to that. You know, as a child, you, you're not supposed to, you, you shouldn't have to become lovable. You know, and when you look at uh, the, the, the kind of rising talk about the need for self-care and self-love, self-love is not something that you should have to teach yourself when you're an adult. It should have been installed in you when you were younger. Yeah. And, that was, and that is by having uh, an, a nurturing, uh, you feel loved in every emotion. When you were sad, angry, lonely, rageful, jealous, all of those feelings, when you were a child, you should have been allowed able to experience them and know that you were still loved and that your parents would still be there. And I think most people for, for, for a number of different reasons, don't get that. Um, yeah. they, they get certain emotions are not allowed and certain emotions that we have to be detached from and we begin to gain an idea that we're not lovable in them. So 
yeah, the, the, the quote that's come up for me when you've asked is, is um, it was never your job to be lovable. I love that, yeah. And I remember hearing a guy say once that, that addiction is like a low-level search for love, you know, that we're looking for some form of, of self-love and, and self-acceptance, you know. And yeah. true addiction is, is, is an art, artificial way of feeling or feeling something divine, you know. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. And just just before we finish up, just tell us a quick one about it, the the NACO. Is that how you pronounce it? It's NACOA, yeah. So they're, NACOA, they're, sorry. They're the National Association for Children of Alcoholics. So um, we're predominantly a helpline that anyone affected by parents drinking can call and speak to a trained helpline counsellor. Um, yeah. And as well as that, we sort of I sort of deliver a lot of training to at the moment predominantly educators. So. I, deliver training to teachers and uh, children's services, okay. police forces, to just help them understand uh, just how big an impact living with a parent that drinks too much has. So, yeah, yeah that, that's powerful. Good. And that, that's yeah. actually where I got that uh, 3C thing from, that you, you didn't cause it, you can't you can't control it and you can't cure it. Was a, it's a 12-step program, uh, you know, adult children of alcoholics. And uh, mm. they, they, they do all different workshops and, and things like that. And there's actually the, the book as well, which I'm sure you heard of. Um, they've yeah. actually changed, re- renamed that to adult children of dysfunctional families. And, and, and there's yeah. a lot more people being able to identify and relate with it, and especially with the symptoms and the, 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 the roles that we play in the family home growing up. Like, you know, the, the fixer, the joker, the clown, you know, all these different roles that we play. Yeah. Yeah, and that that is, you know, the long-lasting impact of growing up with an alcoholic parent is is not the damage they caused when they were drinking, although that obviously causes damage. It's the behaviours, the feelings, and the systems that we have to adapt in order to be able to survive in that world. Yeah. And you don't need you don't need uh, an alcoholic parent for that to happen. Um, belief is that there's no such thing as a functional family there's just varying degrees of dysfunction um and and i think if you grew up with a relatively high level of dysfunction um then you know then you will have experienced a lot of what children of alcoholics experience you know uh, emotional um emotionally immature parents will have the same the same impact or, or, or similar impact so there's lots of different ways that dysfunction reaches those those heights um but I think it's a much higher number than than, than yeah. we probably even realise. But and can it, especially when you grow up and it can still impact you. You know, it's impacting your relationships, your work life, or just your your inner inner dialogue. Because you you develop these tools and behaviours in certain times in your life when when you needed them, and then when you grow mm. up, you're you're still displaying the same tools and behaviours, but they they no longer serve you. I don't need these tools anymore. I don't need this inner dialogue, this this critical mind, you know, always looking over my shoulder for the worst case scenario, you know, constantly, you know, I, I found CBT a great help for this as well. And um, yeah, and just being able to say, right, that the tools that I have and the, the thinking dialogue that I have and the thought processes that I have, they no longer serve me and I no longer need them. And it is like you say, and I think one of the important things to, um, to understand is that, that that they did serve a purpose. So a lot of what we call um, uh, like mental health problems in our life are actually things that once served us but no longer do serve us in our lives today. Yeah. Um, and it's just about 
you know, looking at them with compassion, realizing why we don't need them and replacing them with something that that makes a lot more sense, you know? Yeah, that's that's beautiful, man. Beautiful <laughs> stuff. Right, Josh, man, thanks a million for coming on. I really appreciate it, brother. Pleasure. Enjoy Pleasure. the rest of your day, man. Bye-bye. You too, my friend. Take care. Good luck.